0: Welcome to the P3 Podcast. The Pro Noctis Performance Podcast is the place to be if you're interested in topics such as mindset, coaching, personal development, elite performance and leadership development. Fantastic guest today, uh, somebody right off the back of a, an a insanely amazing 2019, which we'll get on to later on, but also someone that is taking the, the proactive approach and the power of social media to the, to the max, smashing out all their training at the moment. So I'm sure if yours that Those that are following her on Instagram, you've seen it, and she's had a massive workout again today, completely at it at the moment. So let's get straight into it. So welcome, Alice Tai, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.
0: How's Wednesday for you? How are you today?
1: Um, It's been a pretty good Wednesday. I did a workout in the mornings, of core, and then a little bit of S&C stuff for my shoulders to keep them in shape, and then some rowing because I've been doing some own sessions with the GB Para guys. So that's cool. They've kind of like adopted me into their family, which I'm loving.
0: Oh, amazing! So, what, what sort of um, format does that training take? Are you training virtually?
1: Yeah. So we use Zoom, and she'll send me one of the girls will send me sessions over, and then just send me a link, and I'll just join in. So it's pretty simple.
0: That's pretty cool. And I suppose that's that's a really good coping strategy for everything that we're experiencing right now around COVID nineteen. So, how how's things in general been for you regarding the lockdown?
1: Um. not been too bad at the start it was kind of weird because I just it was strange not being in the pool because for the last sort of I don't know like seven or eight years of my life I've been in the pool pretty much every day and the most time I've had off was three or four weeks um so it's kind of strange being in a situation where I literally can't get in the pool at all um it's also strange because I'm back home with my family and my mum and dad and brother and my brother's in uni in manchester and i'm in london so we've not actually all been home at the same time for a free for a few years um so having the whole family together for this length of time is a bit strange as well but it's nice i'm quite enjoying spending time with them.
0: Yeah, I think I think that resonates with everybody at the minute where, we, you know, we all love our families to death, but also we're not used to spending so much time together and uh, you try and make the best of it as you can and make sure we're not having the little arguments with our brothers and sisters eh? <laughs> as best you can. Um, let's take you right back to the starting, Alice. So, you know, how did you get into swimming?
1: So for me, there were two reasons. The first one is that I grew up in Bournemouth or just down the coast from there. And my parents, when they were kind of younger, before they had kids, they'd see groups of friends just sat on the beach and then some of them would go in the water and others would stay. And my mum and dad would be like, oh, if you want, we can look after your stuff and you can go in the sea with your friends. And then the person, the people sat there would be like, oh no, it's okay. Like, we don't know how to swim. So for my parents, water safety was a massive, massive thing. And then also I had a lot of surgery when I grew up. So before I turned 12, I'd had 14 major operations um and then a few other random ones but they don't they don't count so i had quite <laughs> I'd had 14 major operations and for a lot of them I was non-weight-bearing for a while afterwards so water therapy was always really useful and also prior to surgery some of them I needed to build up more strength in my legs and the only way to do that comfortably was in the pool so it was a good sort of non-weight-bearing fitness thing.
0: So, so it's almost like it was conditional based, but it sort of sparked a love of water for you. And is is that a fair assumption?
1: Yeah, exactly. Although when I first joined a swimming club, i I didn't want to race. I remember it was club championships, and <laughs> I was behind the block ready to go. I thought it was just a normal training session, but there were loads of parents watching, and then I had a massive breakdown. I just started crying. And I went to my parents and I said, I was like, I'm never going to race. I don't want people to watch me swim. I hate it. Um, and then I went in the little pool and did a session with the younger kids. So the development from there for now is kind of insane.
0: Yeah. yeah. What sort of age are we talking to? You?
1: I joined a club when I was say, nine. So a while ago now. Um, but we had swimming lessons before that. And then it was our babysitter who suggested that we join a club. And then it's kind of, history
0: i guess yeah. obviously you're reflecting back a little bit now do you know what that that barrier was to not wanting to race was it just confidence or was it just you know scared of the unknown
1: i think a bit of both i was always i'm not sure i enjoyed training but i just i didn't want people to watch me swim because i don't know i can't remember what i thought at the time but probably it was just i didn't want people watching me race um, but I, I got over it. Thank,
0: yeah, you. It's, it's, yeah, thank God. Yeah. And especially when you fast forward 10 years or so to last year. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> huge change, isn't it? And then, so how, you know, in terms of those initial, so getting over that barrier and then starting to initially race, it seems, you know, just looking at your, you know, your CV and your race history, it seems that things progressed pretty quickly. Is that fair? And, and, and I don't mean that in terms of, you know, to dismiss all the work and the training you did that, but it seems that, you know, your career accelerated exceptionally quick.
1: Yeah, I one of the phrases I use a lot when people ask me is that it's snowballed because it really, really did. I started training properly when I was maybe, well, properly as in actually training more than once a week, um like actual club sessions rather than lessons. I probably started them when I was 11 to a decent level. And then I got talent scouted when I was 13 no oh my gosh no it's younger I got talent scouted when I was 12 and then it literally snowboard I had um the regional coach come over and say you need to be in Sheffield at the weekend um in a few weeks you need to be in Sheffield in a few weeks for the weekend and my mum laughed at her she was like there's no way we're going to be in Sheffield in a few weekends like that's silly um and then my grandparents ended up paying for it because it was pretty expensive for us at the time because I had no funding at all and then from there the national coach came over and he was like oh we think you'll be on a program and I got put on a program and it literally just snowballed and then I ended up in Rio kind of like four years later and I was just like oh okay
0: that's an incredible journey, and it resonates with um, some of the athletes I work with. How they started in terms of sometimes there's a pivotal point, and and you know it's the family support or the local community support that allows you to go and get that first step.
1: Yeah, definitely. For me, we called it Bank of Nan and Granddad <laughs> because whenever my parents, whenever I needed to be somewhere, and my parents didn't have enough kind of spare money that month to fund it. My nan and granddad were literally like, we'll do it, it's fine. So everyone sort of, definitely before I got selected and got funding properly, they pretty much put their neck on the line for me. My mum was getting up at like half four in the morning, four a.m. to take me training. Um, and it was just a lot of effort on their half, but I'm really grateful for it now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are. And 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 funny enough, as you were talking there, I was starting to get sort of flashbacks myself of, um my friends who are keen swimmers going through sort of secondary school that exactly that story there you know parents and, and well the parents are up before the for the for the for the children the swimmers most of the time where they're kicking them out of bed to go because they know they want to be there but it's it's not the being there it's the getting up is the hardest bit it's that classic thing isn't it it's not the running that's the hardest thing it's putting your shoes on um and the parents are down trying to throw some breakfast together to eat in the car on the way there and it's, it's exhausting and tiring for everybody, isn't it? But was that very much your thing five days a week before school in the pool?
1: Yeah. Um, my mum, talking about making breakfast, I'm not entirely sure why she did this. And if I was a parent, I feel like I probably wouldn't. But she used to get up way before we did to, for swimming and she'd make us bacon sandwiches um, to eat after, which is crazy because obviously you have to cook the bacon. Yeah. Um, so she, she's crazy but you know it was nice to have a bacon sandwich after training um yeah. but yeah I'm just I think I just grew up with it almost I was so young by the time I realized that it was kind of insane I was getting up so early in training and training going to school it just it was natural
0: yeah and it's the dedication <laughs> especially at that young age that was the dedication of not just obviously the athlete and the child it is such important to have that right sort of environment for success isn't it And oh, yeah things, things like your mum getting up to ensure that a you get there but b you've got something to eat before school that is so so important isn't it because you need to be able to train again the next day
1: yeah exactly and with homework and stuff we'd be getting getting home after evening training pretty late and she'd be making the food or well, my dad sometimes would make it if he was in from work most of the time he wasn't but my mum would like make the food and me and my brother would do homework and then We'd literally finish the homework, eat, then go to sleep, um, and do it all again the next day. Yeah. So it's a lot of it's like a whole family dedication, especially at the start. It's not just it's not just the athlete ever.
0: Um. So in terms of you train what almost twice a day, Monday to Friday, doing your, either side of school. Was that was was that right? And then compete on a weekend when there was races.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Some depending on the club and the squad I've been in, um, it was swim in the morning, school then evening, and then either we'd have a session on Saturday morning or Sunday evening um so I much prefer training on Saturday morning because then you kind of have the whole weekend whereas if you train Sunday you have the weekend for for the whole weekend you're just dreading that session uh, so I much prefer finishing <laughs> finishing the week on Saturday morning um but yeah even now with uni I train in the morning head to uni um and then come back from uni train in the evening we have a gym at uni so in between, like morning and afternoon lectures, if I've got enough time, I'll go and do a gym session. So it's all kind of fitting it into the day. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's a it's a professional athlete's life, isn't it? With you know university crammed in as well, you know, and it's busy, busy time. So clearly, you're you're dedicated and you're motivated. Have you ever had any snags with that in terms of you know some moments? Uh, have you ever sort of risked falling out of love with the sport? If that makes sense.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I had a massive. Kind of dip going into Rio and I actually quit the sport for three months just because I wasn't mentally in a good place with it. It got to a point where I was actually going onto poolside and I was having like really mild panic attacks because I didn't want to get in the pool. Um, and I just didn't want to be in that environment. And then I came home and just started afresh, didn't swim for a while. And my very first coach started getting me back we'd start like five minutes in the pool and then built on that um so I was really fortunate that I still got selected for the team in Rio because my training beforehand not gonna lie was it was pretty bad it wasn't exactly elite at all it was just turn up to the pool and try and get a session done um but yeah I moved to Ealing in September of last year 2018 no, September of 2018 I moved to Ealing um, mainly for uni but I also joined Ealing swimming club and that was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made because my coach is great
0: That, and we talk a lot about it here at Pronoctus where that coach athlete or the, the coach um, delegate coachee that relationship is so so important isn't it in terms of Greatly um, uh, co-creating the solutions and the training programs together, and you know it's really important for the coach to identify that maybe the athletes getting burnt out and a bit exposed too much, and they just you're better off having a couple of days off rather than getting to the point where you need to take weeks off.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. One thing that I'm really appreciative of Dave is that if I have I don't know it's a friend's birthday, like their 21st, um, then he's he just says basically tell me when it is. And if you really want to go, you can go. But his motto is like, he's like, don't take the piss though. Because if obviously I went to him every week and I was like, oh, I want to go out. It's someone's birthday. um, Going to this, going to that. Then he'd be like, that's silly. Um, But if I say it every now and then, and if it's a reasonable thing, then he's really, he's really good at accepting that I need a social life as well as being an athlete. Because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not very good at just being an athlete. I get a bit um worked up about it. Yeah,
0: it's, it's all about balance, isn't it? And I think that, you know, there's, there's no truer sentence for me that, you know, the athletes that not just get to the top, but they stay at the top, they get used to having to sacrifice. And sometimes it's not just about sacrificing your, you know, your physical health through training, but it's about sacrificing doing those things you'd love to do, but not doing them. I mean, we've got loads of athletes building up for what was going to be obviously Tokyo 2020 that didn't go and see their family and friends over Christmas because they were on a training camp but that's how dedicated they were, but they knew that you know the bigger picture or the bigger goal was always at the forefront of their mind.
1: Yeah, I think that's a massive thing. Even when, especially I find athletes in school, in secondary school, is kind of the main the main portion of people's life, as well as uni, I guess, where they grow socially. So for me, when I was in secondary school, everyone was going out you know, like into town to the cinema or to just go shopping with friends. And... I'm pretty sure I had to turn people down like 99% of the time just because I was training or at a competition but it's just sacrifices and almost necessary to be an elite athlete because it's like a job I mean it is a job um once you become a professional athlete that's that's your income and you have to treat it as such you can't Not do something because you want to be somewhere else. You know you have to make those sacrifices quite often.
0: Yeah, and there's almost three roads you can go down there, and it's all about your decision making, isn't it? And having you know great coaches like you've got and and good advisors like the guys at SportsFear there around you, they're going to help you to make the decision to hopefully go down the right path. So you know from my experience working with people that are are super talented, but they're not willing to do the work and they're not willing to sacrifice, they go down the route of then growing growing away from their sport. Um, And then you've got the guys that try and do both, and it's really hard. And I mean, both, as in 50-50. And then the ones who kick on are the ones that commit to their sport, but also are allowed to go and do a little bit. Um, Because I certainly remember um, some of the guys I was coaching, that sometimes when they did go to that party and they sacrificed a training session for it, they felt guilty about it because they didn't really enjoy themselves at the party anyway. And they'd get to the point they'd rather be training. Yeah. Yeah, you know?
1: Yeah, that's what Dave's motto is, basically. If you really want to be somewhere and you can't go because of training... Then when you turn up for training, you're not going to be in the right headspace anyway. So you might as well go and then have good sessions for the rest of the week because it's there's a fine tipping point between loving and hating sport. If it overrules your life too much, it becomes a chore and you don't want that. You want to keep the passion there. So it's pretty important to have a good, a good balance.
0: Yeah, and, and again, we talk around, you, you need to know yourself. You need to know when you need to have a little break or or, or when you need to be, I'm good, I just, I'm just i just having a bit of a lazy mindset day. I need to just kick on now. Um, yeah. And having that good sort of support network is so important for that. Now, you've casually dropped in there that, you know, you didn't have a great year and then all of a sudden you just turned up at Rio. Tell us a little bit more about that. So um, the journey to Rio and what Rio was like.
1: So for me, Rio wasn't... I didn't particularly want to be there which sounds really selfish because you know getting to the Paralympics or the Olympics is it should be the pinnacle of any athlete's career I guess um, if their sport's represented there but for me it was more I didn't particularly want to be there for myself but I'd seen how much effort my family and my coaches and the whole support team around me had put in going into the kind of 2015 into 2016 and I realized that You know, I wanted to go there for them. Even if I didn't want to go there, it was, it wasn't just my dream. It was something that everyone had put effort into and everyone had put time and sacrifices into. So I figured I was like, you know what? I'll just give it a shot. And I trained a little bit. Um, and then I didn't actually qualify. I never made the qualifying time, but I spoke to the head coach and he just. He was, he basically told me my place was guaranteed after one of my races, which took a load of pressure off for me because I knew that if I was on the team, then I'd have the time between trials and the games to try and really focus, um, which was hard because I wasn't in the right headspace for it. But when I got there, um, winning because I got a bronze in the individual, in my hundred backstroke, and then we got a gold in the relay. And for me, I wasn't happy with either of those swims personally, but kind of coming off the podium and walking around the pool and seeing my mum and my coaches and all my family who had come all the way to Rio to watch, seeing them getting emotional. My mum was crying so much. Um, But that that was kind of the cherry on top. That means more than the medal, just because if you're not in a place where you you've been training to win something and you're training for something else to please other people, then their reaction matters more. I don't know if any of that makes
0: sense. It completely makes sense because it, it it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you you felt like a moral obligation to go, to, to almost pay them back because they're part of the journey and their sacrifices. Everything we've talked about, you know, for 4.30 starts, making bacon butties, your coach being there inside out, being there to support you, that, you know, you, you could not say no to go, knowing full well that maybe you weren't as prepared as you'd like to be physically or mentally. Um, so that it was probably, it wasn't about you at that time, it was about them and giving them something back. And, and, and actually, I think potentially when we're going to talk about the rest of your career so far, that might've made a, been a major base for you to now and go and succeed for yourself. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's definitely true. Okay, so so just to, just to recap, so how old were you going to Rio? I
1: was 17 in
0: Rio. Oh, wow. But, but did you, didn't you have some major success just before that, a couple of years before?
1: Yeah, so my first... My first senior international was Europeans in 2014, where I won, I think I got a gold, silver and a bronze. Um, and then the following year we had world championships where I won a gold and three bronze medals. So it was, I mean, I was successful going into Rio, but I think the whole, the whole idea of being a professional athlete didn't really sit well with me because what we were being told was basically, it's swimming, 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 and I was I didn't want just that, I wanted to be able to do other things, like I needed an identity outside of the pool as well because it's almost like like I said, it's like a job, so it's like professional you and then you in your free time, um, but there was no there was no kind of difference between those two people at that point, and I was just getting really confused.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot going on with us at 15, 16, 17, you know, as, as human beings, as we develop and we mature, that there's a lot of challenges going on, never mind the external pressures, you know, of, yeah. of, of other things to perform for sure. So, yeah, no, that, that can make completely make sense. So, you know, world champion at what, 15?
1: 16.
0: 16. Yeah. So it's not, not a bad start yeah. to your career, eh? <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't think about it like that. Yeah. I'm really bad at viewing um, my own achievements as yeah. as what they are because it's just sort of like, oh, I just
0: went to that competition and did that, yeah. yeah. when other people kind of phrase it differently. Yeah, but that, that's also common, because what, what, what athletes are, you know, driven athletes they've got of long careers is that they, they'll reflect when they've retired. This is just yeah. what, this is what I do. I train, I compete, and I compete the best of my ability, and, and I win some, I lose some. But when people do focus too much on winning, I, I've won this, that's where maybe you take your foot off the gas. So it, it's actually a, po- a positive trait, I'd say. I don't know what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I think so. I'm also, I don't understand how people get so caught up in medals, especially in parasport, because, I don't know, between now and next year, there could be someone who's had an accident at the start of the year which has left them permanently disabled, and they could have swam previously, and they can get back into the pool and then get classified, and I might end up racing them. And they may be way better than me, so, you know, getting fixated on medals is just a bit almost I mean, it's a good thing for motivation if that's what you're into, but also it can it can be your downfall as well, because you don't want to have a mindset where you're like, I wanna win everything because if you don't but you still have a good a good result from your own race, then you might be disappointed. Yeah. So I kind of just wanna do the best that I can do and then medals are cool. So so
0: so what is it that motivates you then?
1: Um I just enjoy doing things that (laughs) so random but I enjoy training a lot I enjoy feeling like I've come off the session I've pushed myself harder and I'm gonna go faster uh in the pool I love seeing progress from the start of the season to the end regaining fitness getting better in different areas uh so I think just self-improvement I quite enjoy so for example my 50 freestyle I hadn't Swam my best time in that since 2014. And then I started swimming it again going into 2019. And I took just over, just over, just under a second off my personal best, which is huge to think. So between 2014 and 2018, I hadn't got a PB in my 50 freestyle at all for four years. And then in the space of a year, I dropped about a second just under. So for me, that's what motivates me, you know, like being able to get in the pool and going, you know, I've got everything prepared for this. Um, and I just, I just want to keep getting better in everything.
0: No, 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 there's, there's certainly no no, uh, no shame in that for sure. I mean, what some of the acronyms we use as coaches is um, we use an acronym of SEL. SEL. So so the environment needs to be safe for, for an athlete before anything else. So it sounds like you've got that with your coach. Obviously, the, the way you're talking about, you can see that and, And you can see you light up when you're talking about the local swimming club. So you're in a safe environment. You need to enjoy it. That's the E bit, you know, you need to be safe, you need to enjoy it. And there needs to be learning taking place. So your coach plays a massive part in that, but also your mindset and approach to learning. And then once you've got those three through dedication, hard work and deliberate training, you're increasing your chances of making those improvements. Does that resonate with you there?
1: Absolutely. I love, one of the best things about Ealing where I swim is that it's an able-bodied club. And within my squad, I'm the only para swimmer. So, in sessions which would have been easy with a group of para swimmers, they're so much harder because Dave will Dave will make me go off the same times as everybody else. They might have fins on or different equipment which I can't use, and Dave will just be like, "You'll be fine. Just swim a bit faster." So he, he's a bit relentless in that sense, yeah. but it's good because I know that he's not letting me slack at all. So for myself. Even if I'm absolutely dead at the end of a session, if I know that I've given hundred and ten percent and that Dave's been part of that and everyone in the squad to be honest, kind of if we see someone dying, we're like, Come on, you've got this. So it was really positive. So I really enjoy that aspect.
0: No, brilliant. Then it goes back to that environment bit again, isn't it? You know, when you're in the right environment you push each other on, don't you? And and even if you end up competing and racing against each other, it's all about that, that team cohesion to push each other to get better. So the next step remember rightly then was you went on to the was it the Commonwealth Games in twenty eighteen? Yeah. 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 Where, where was that again? Where? Yeah.
1: They were in Australia, Gold Coast.
0: Ah, of course it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course it was. So how how was that?
1: Great. I've never been to Australia, so it was um my first Commonwealth Games, first time in Australia, first time being on a team that was mixed able bodied and para, so a lot of firsts, and it was just a great experience and all. I think it was one of the first competitions where. I actually felt like I wanted to be there. Um, because previous ones to that, I was sort of like, I'm here, but do I really want to be? Like, I'm kind of enjoying myself, kind of not. But Commonwealth was the first one where I remember being behind the block and thinking, I want this. Like, I want to be here. I want to swim well. So it was, it was great. And it was just also because Adam Peaty was on the team. Um, and I was just in awe. And then other countries, the Australians were there. Uh, And we never get the opportunity to see the able-bodied athletes very often. So I was literally walking around the pool such like, oh my gosh, oh, look who it is. Wow. And I was fangirling a lot. So it was really exciting from that perspective as well.
0: Yeah, Adam Pitty's done all right, haven't he? You sure? Which, I can see the logical sequence here and the journey you've been on. Which has set up the foundation of why you, why or how you did what you did last year in 2019, because it was a phenomenal year, wasn't it? So you've gone, you know, you've had a great learning experience um, leading up to Rio. You obviously come out of that. You've you've, you've then gone on and, and consolidated it with the World Championships and gone to the Commonwealth Games and had that experience, you know, of enjoying a major tournament, um, yeah. and then it set it up for 2019. So. Do you want to to talk us through last year from a sort of chronological perspective? Because there's probably loads in there that I'm not aware of, but it was a phenomenal one, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. I'm really bad at reflecting back on years as a whole when we think about this chronologically. So I think the first... Well, there were two things. It was World Championships and then um, Berlin, which was a, a competition as part of the World Series. Yeah. So And also Trials, wait, let me think. So let's see. Trials for World Championships were held in Glasgow and I broke two world records there, I think. Um, And that was the start of the sort of the year for me, the season. And then after that, I went to Berlin where I broke seven world records over four days, which I didn't know was a record for the competition. So the previous person had broken six over four days. Um, so that was a nice little addition at the end. They did a little speech and I was like, ooh. Um, so that was that competition. And then world championships came around and I was favorite in a few of the events, but there were others like 400 freestyle and 100 butterfly where I was not entirely sure if I'd medal, if I'd win, how they'd go. Um, so it was a bit of pressure from there, but the whole competition went really well and I ended up winning seven gold medals, breaking two world records. Um, yeah. So I swam every day. It was a seven day competition and I raced every single day, which was really, really tiring. Uh, but it was worth it for sure. And little fun fact, my first competition of the 2019 season was at the London Aquatic Centre and it was just sort of a local London meet. And then also my last competition was there for world championships. So, it was, it was cool to see the pool decorated and start the season where I ended it. Um, it was a nice little circle.
0: The the world champs, um, I remember seeing it on TV, actually. I remember seeing the coverage there at, at London. That that must have been amazing to be part of as well, and also in your home country too.
1: Yeah, it was really special because like my grandparents and friends and family could come and watch. My grandparents are way too old to fly anywhere to watch the race now, so... I figured that they wouldn't be able to come and see me race anymore. Um, because there's nothing kind of within Great Britain, any international meets coming up. Uh so when the worlds were announced being in London and being moved to London, I was so happy, mainly for them because they were there every single night and I saw them after every race. I went over my nan, she kept feeding me fruit pastels. She always has fruit pastels with her. And every time I came over after the medal ceremony, she'd give me a hug and then try and smuggle me fruit pastels. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 I can't eat these yet. Um, so that was really cute of her. But it was really special to have them there. And also have loads of school kids come on watch because I still think... I mean, off the back of London 2012, I think the Paralympic movement has developed a ton. But I think there's still a way to go. But having kids there and having children who maybe before weren't aware of the level of Paralympic sport within Great Britain Britain and they were there with flags. And when I went to see my grandparents, people were asking for photos. And it's kind of I love knowing that there's almost a legacy being left behind after every time I race. And so, I like, I love that.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I I couldn't agree more with you. Certainly what I've been observing from afar and I think you know, Tokyo next year, granted, was going to be this year. I think it's going to be, you know, another level because of London. Um, I read, read somewhere this morning that I think um, there was something like two and a half million tickets available for the Paralympics and three million people applying from.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is, which is insane, isn't it?
1: I never thought in my lifetime that would happen. Just because it seems so strange that after London and then Rio, people have really latched onto the Paralympics. Yeah. And I've had a loads of people come over. And it's really weird And I'd be like oh you know i think the paralympics are way better than the olympics you deserve more coverage and all of this and i'm like really that's so sweet um but it's really it's really interesting to see how much it's grown and also the impact that it has on how many new people are coming into the sport i've seen so many new young swimmers come through who may not have even known about para swimming or any power sports in general if the Paralympics hadn't been more in the public eye. So I think that's really important to try and get, you know, as many kids and as many, even adults who have acquired disabilities, you know, just to prove to people that even though you are disabled and there's something that's not normal, you know, it's still like a whole world that you can go through. And yeah. And, and that
0: was a big part of the London 2012 legacy and beyond. Because, I mean, you obviously would have been watching that, you know, coming through and... Uh, I want a piece of that action and and creating that legacy that inspires the next generation. And and, and already you're doing that. And it's not something you probably want to consciously think about now, but there there are people, you know, probably on this call that are looking at what you're doing and going, right, I'm going to do that. And that's that's what we need for the next generation to to go and to grow to the
1: next level, isn't it? That's how sport works. I mean, there was a point where everyone thought Michael Phelps was unbeatable and then Caleb Dressel's broken his hundred butterfly world record. Um, another American swimmer. So, like, everything has to move on and get faster. So,
0: yeah, it's, it's and this is why that environment's so important. You know that you you need belief. You need belief in yourself. You need belief in your coach. You need belief in your team. And you need belief in the process, the training program you're following. And if you're playing a part and contributing towards that, and you're doing it as best you possibly can, you can increase your chances of success. If you don't believe it. If you don't think, you know, you've got that internal competitive drive, then you're probably going to fall short, aren't you? So um, there's bumps along the road. That's life. You know, life's unfair, Goalpost move, end of. Accept that, what else can we do? Now what can we do about it?
1: Just everything within your control, really. One of the things is that you can never control everything. There are going to be some things which happen and you just, they're none of your business and there's nothing you can do. But everything that you can control, you know, it's great to, if you're confused about what you can and can't, you can write lists. It's pretty simple. Um, And just try and do everything you can to just go towards those goals, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of people, sometimes when they they know there's things they can be doing, you know, to work towards their goals, whatever that is in life, and they're not, and they're self-sabotaging or they're procrastinating, that's when they get a bit mad and angry with themselves.
1: Yeah, would, absolutely.
0: You know, whether it's a little cheat meal when they shouldn't have or they skipped that session because they didn't feel like it this morning. It's it's that guilt afterwards, isn't it? And then you know you need to learn from that and move on. It's when you when you do that consistently is when you're affecting your, your output or your performance.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing, I'm not sure who told me it, but it stuck with me for a while. In swim sessions, we train nine times a week. And if you skip 200 meters over those sessions – and that's adding up to almost 2k a week that you've skipped and then over the course of the year and the whole training that's quite a lot of meters you've skipped from something which is so minimal each session
0: yeah.
1: um so for me you know trying to do absolutely everything I can because everything you can put that mindset towards everything if you spend a little bit less time doing something that you want to um you want to improve upon then over the course of a year or even longer, you know, that's going to add up. So just being aware that even the smallest things that are in your control can really affect the outcome.
0: Yeah, for sure. The compound is unbelievable. The compound, it's like, you know, financial saving, you know, it might only be 1%, but you do that over 40 years. It's an incredible amount. And uh, it, it, it is true. Now, I think before we wrap up 2019, I think we've got to talk about, um, if I've got it right, um, Swimmer of the Year, British Swimmer of the Year. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. Was I that a. About that. Yeah. Oh
1: my- Oh, I've heard about it quite a lot. Sorry.
0: No, not at all, but it was the back end of the year anyway, hence the, the awards. But um I did I did read something that you again going back to you like, well well Adam Pete's year, but why didn't he win it? How have I won this? And that you know, it was in was it a complete shock for you?
1: Yeah. Well, I didn't even know the award existed. I completely forgot <laughs> until one of the girls who I was sat next to, she was like, Oh, you could be up to that. I reckon you'll win the power athletes, and you might win this one. And I am like, What is it? And I just thought it was like I didn't even know what I thought it was. I just—I guess I didn't read the program right. Um, but then the para-athlete was the last award prior to that one. And then every other athlete had been sent from winning their award down to media to take pictures. And then I got mine and I went to go the way that they told everyone to go. And they were like, no, sit back down in your seat. So then I was like, wait, maybe I've won this last award. Yeah. And then I was really confused um and when I went to receive it it was just really strange because I was looking at the room and there were so many people who I look up to in the like swimming world um which was crazy because I still look up to them and just to be kind of named athlete of the year out of synchro diving swimming just every aquatic sport and just kind of insane. I'm still yeah. remembering
0: that. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, to be fair, and, and amazing at the same time, and, and no doubt, you know, well-deserved. I mean, you go back to your last, you know, paragraph, if you like, where you were saying about don't cut those 200 metres because they add up. You know, you, you clearly haven't, you know, and, and that's what happens when, when, when you do consistently train and perform. And there was also the, was it the, the Laureus Awards out in Germany? What was that like in the red carpet and the glitz oh, and the glamour?
1: gosh. See if I was fangirling at British Swimming Awards and at Commonwealth Games you can bet I was fangirling so hard. <laughs> Mark Spitz was there. He's such a he's such a legend in the swimming world and oh my goodness there were so many incredible athletes who were there who my parents I took my dad with me because all of his sporting heroes from his childhood were there too. So my dad was there and he was <laughs> he was walking through the hotel and he kept seeing people he was like oh my goodness it's so and so oh my goodness and he didn't know what to do with himself but neither did I because one just being that was incredible but then also the fact that out of all the Paralympic athletes in the world male and female they'd chosen me to be one of the top six that year was just crazy like because there are so many different sports and tons and tons of athletes and to just it blows my mind even now to think about it because for me it was just a swimming competition and I happened to do pretty well um then to be on the same level as other people whose achievements I viewed almost as way more impressive than my own because it was pretty cool
0: it did I suppose I sort of phrase the question correctly here. Did it make you think, do you know what? I've, I've had a great start to my career, you know, but that's what I want to do. I want to kick on now for the next five, 10, 15 years. Is that sort of, has it made you even hungrier now you've been in presence of those legends?
1: Kind of, for me, because the girl that won it, Oksana Masters, she does, she does two sports, well, three. She does two winter sports and one summer sport. And... I was like, well, if she can do one, more than one sport, I was like, I kind of want to give that a go. So I'm planning on after Tokyo, even potentially before Tokyo, who knows, I want to be able to try other things because I've just swum my whole life. And I figured I'm kind of at the age where I'm in my prime sport-wise. And I'd love to be able to try other things because I might be good at other stuff.
0: Yeah. Do you have job sports know. in mind?
1: Um. I've been doing some rowing with the rowing guys for the power, with the power rowing guys. And I think, I mean, I looked at the programs for the games and they don't fit with the swimming one because I've co- rowing's a three-day program and it lies right over the swimming one. So I don't think that would be reasonable. However, after Tokyo, I'd really love to give it a go or even potentially do like Europeans or worlds, but just not the games for it. And then also, I'm really intrigued in doing triathlon because I feel like the swimming would obviously be a good advantage for me. And then I quite enjoy races, which are more tactical because in the pool, it's very you're in the water and then you're out. There's only one race where it's kind of longer. So yeah. And then also I want to do some winter sports as well because the kit looks cool.
0: (laughs) So just to get that right then, so Tokyo 2021 as it is now, you're going to focus purely on swimming for that and then maybe see what happens after and maybe dabble in a little bit of the training, a bit of cross training beforehand.
1: Yeah. I said me and my coach agreed that I can keep rowing until, um, as cross training. And then I would like to do a competition at the end of the year, just to kind of leave that in a nice place. Um, triathlon falls on, I think it's day four at the games and, it would be in the morning, and then it's the same day as a swimming relay, which is swim in the evening, so there's potential for me to do that, however, the qualification is very different. You have to do like a World Cup, and then your ranking on that qualifies you, so I'm not sure how how reasonable that is wanting to do both, but if the opportunity arose, you know I wouldn't turn it down.
0: yeah, it sounds like you've willed your oyster, no. What what people may not understand is that behind all of this going on, you're also studying for a neuroscience degree at the same time you're cramming that in. So how are you managing with that?
1: Um, Not too bad. I've just done my first year, and then the plan was to do first year and then just do second and third year as normal and potentially go part-time. But now with Tokyo being next year, I think going part-time for my second year is going to be necessary because there was quite a lot of work this year already. Um, so it's only going to get more work and more complex. So I think I'm going to do one or two modules going into Tokyo and then continue from there. But yeah, it's not been too bad. It's quite enjoyable.
0: And so, so so, tell us a bit more about your personal life in terms of – so I know you, you're you a bit of a keen musician. You're, you're keen to learn to drive and things that I've been told, a little birdie tells me. So what else is going on in, in the world of, of Alice?
1: So I have – so I did a – I went to college in Manchester whilst I was training there and I did music just because it wasn't overly stressful for me it was kind of like a good social outlet um and then I did that for a couple of years and ended up getting a qualification at the end of it which was just fair enough it was quite nice um but I recently reconnected with a couple of the girls who I was there with and we started a band um so that's going pretty well we were going to record some music but then coronavirus happened and everywhere shut down. So we have to wait until we get the go-ahead when we can do that. Um But we're working on some, we're calling it quarantine covers because it's quite cute. <laughs> <laughs> but we're figuring out some kind of cute acoustic songs that we can do where we basically just ping audio files back and forth and then I put them all together Um and, yeah, see how it goes because it's just a bit of fun. Yeah, cool then- stuff. So- it, it actually
0: yeah. tie, it ties into a couple of questions actually people are asking you know, how many instruments can you play
1: um confidently i say guitar is my main instrument that's what i studied at college um but then also usually when you play guitar you can also play bass and ukulele so i play those i played i was in an orchestra playing clarinet for a little bit when i was younger and then when swimming took off i kind of stopped what i'm sad about I wish I could start that again, but I can play clarinet fairly well. Quite competent. And then also piano, which is, I guess it's almost a given. Because I did start music at uni and then I realised that I wanted to keep that more of a, just a hobby and something I enjoyed rather than having stress of assignments with it. So then I transferred into neuroscience instead, which is two completely different things. Yeah,
0: but you'll learn so much. We said this morning when we had a quick chat. Then we also you'll learn so much in terms of neuroscience for your own performance as well. So that's like it was a double win. Um, I'm keen to get yeah. onto the questions, Alice, to because time's ticking on. A um, couple of technical questions and some advice. So any top tips on tumble turning?
1: Um, for me, one of, so a drill first that I used to do with my coach when I was younger. It was like you made it into a game. You stand for the pool normally like this. And then when your coach says go, you have to do a forward roll as fast as you can and then jump off the bottom of the pool into a streamlined position. You don't streamline like this. I'm going to do my example. (laughs) Um, So you push up into that. And then if you have more than one person in the pool, it's great because whoever's the slowest is out. And it just turns into a game, but it really gets the rotation speed up. And then we used to break down the turns. So you'd go into the wall, you want to keep your head down because it helps the rotation and it's faster in general. Because if your head's up, obviously there'll be more resistance. So keep your head down and then we used to flip onto the wall and put our feet on it and like then skull in that position just so we could set it and make sure our feet are in the right place for the most powerful drive. And then from there we'd progress into actually pushing off the wall from that position and we just reduce the time kind of sculling with our feet on the wall. I hope that helps.
0: Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I, I fancy giving that a go, actually. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that context. it was really, really good. Um, another question about um, any top tips for training for sort of 1,500 meters in, in a pool. For
1: 1,500?
0: Yeah. just <laughs> <It's> a short <laughs> um, sprint.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't need any distance training for that. No, definitely distance in training is a lot, and doing a lot of stuff based on the pace you want to hold for it. So you don't want to be... Maybe you can do a set of hundreds or 200s, 300s, 400s, I don't know, whatever you're comfortable with and hold a pace for it. Um, And if you know what sort of stroke counts or stroke rates you want to go, making sure that you count your strokes and keep everything even, because in the 1500, you don't want to go out too fast. You don't want to go out too slow. You want to make sure that you can dive in and you can get on the pace that you need at the start. I don't do 1500s but there is there's a girl that does them in my club and she's just up and down, up and down constantly and we'll all be doing sprints and stuff. and It's crazy training. I'm not a distance swimmer, but
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so that that's specificity in the training, isn't it? You know, in terms of just trying to map it across is really important for that. Um, So uh, one also coming in. So out of all your wins to date, uh, what's been your most favourite? Hmm. I think
1: my most favourite was probably commonwealths i think just it was a great crowd and it was it was just a special competition for me i just really enjoyed myself so probably that one Come okay yeah like
0: and we covered that earlier on didn't we so i don't think we need to go yeah. into that um what, what sort of land training are you doing at the moment to, to keep yourself fit
1: so i'm doing a lot of erging um, so using the rowing machine a lot I do sessions with the GB Rowers through three, normally three, three or four, two or three times a week. Um, and obviously they're doing kind of hit stuff and then also power things, um, aerobic. So I'm getting kind of almost like mini swimming sessions within that, um, where my heart rate sits and that's been good. My dad, he gets sent through circuits. He's part of this like little squad at our local leisure centre. And he's being sent through circuits from the training guy. So sometimes me and my brother will join in with him. If he really doesn't want to do them will be motivating. We're like, come on, Dad, we'll do it with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, brilliant. Yeah, and then also British swimming is sending me through some gym stuff. So I've been doing that. So just I've kind of gone into a routine now. Kind of do some core, S and C, then a row. And then in the evenings if the weather's nice I'll just go for a little walk because
0: quite nice yeah active with a bit of fresh air and getting outside the house and i think you know the, the the beauty of you know online youtube these days there's so much stuff on there from uh hip training to you know s- uh, specific tabata training to a short and blast and you don't need a lot of kit then and a lot of space either i'd, I'd certainly yeah, exactly. uh, find that but also just going out and going for a walk get a bit of fresh air and have that that active recovery is really important especially you know late at night flush your legs out a little bit so you can go again the next day Okay, doc. last question then so um do you have a favorite pool at all that you always seem to swim well in?
1: um i'd say there's a pool the pool in berlin it's underground and i love it and it's got all the flags hung up so i'd say that's my favorite pool and i always seem to swim well in there someone asked me this question before from british swimming and i said berlin and they thought i said birmingham (laughs) right (laughs) and to my knowledge there isn't a 50 meter pool in birmingham that was being used there might be but if there is i've never swam there so it got put out on the British swimming website that my favorite pool was in Birmingham. And I was like, what? I've never even swam there. So yeah, Berlin.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine it. I can actually picture it. Um, Okie dokie. And last one from me then. So obviously, Tokyo's slipped until a further date, you know, 2021. What's, what's, what's in your head? What's your plan moving forward in terms of adapting your training um, and getting yourself there in sort of peak fitness?
1: Yeah, for now, it's just maintaining I think for me more than anything routine because I find on days if I get out of bed a bit later then I'm not as motivated in the mornings to go and actually do stuff um, and keep fit so just keeping a good routine sticking to my program I talk to my coach quite a lot we call at least once a week to catch up on things and just really I think mindset is a massive thing right now too for athletes just making sure that you don't overdo it Because a lot of people might stress that Tokyo is next year and they can't be in the pool or can't train properly and then just be constantly doing, I don't know, like core or something, which isn't healthy in the long term. So just trying to stay on top of things. But again, like talking about balance, keep it balanced.
0: Yeah, and doing what you can control, isn't it? And I think you've brought it really nicely together there because I think there's there's some learning points there for everybody, not just, you know, the sports people on the call, but in business, we've got a lot of clients that are still working really hard. They're doing 14, 15, 16 hour days because they're working from home now, but that's yeah. not, that's not sustainable. What that is, is that that's creating the chances of burnout. Um, and then it's going to take you a lot longer to recover. So, um, yeah, work inside that, that circular control, be proactive, try and get a routine as best you can, but don't worry if you don't stick to it too much, being flexible. Um, and you set yourself up for success. Well, Alice, that's this an hour gone already. Um, I want to thank everybody who's been online and asking their questions and and obviously thank you, Alice, for being so open and honest and and candid with your answers. I really, really appreciate that. Thanks so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed it and, and take care now. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the P3 podcast. If you'd like to engage further with us, then please come and follow us across all social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And of course, follow us on wherever you get your podcasts to be one of the first to be notified of any new content.